encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. By way of review, you may recall that uh, Peter is written to a, uh, a group of people, Jewish believers, who are experiencing persecution. People are coming after them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. You made a stand for Jesus, and people determined you would be a great target. This book provides for us instruction in how to live when you're away from home. You aren't in heaven yet, my friends. You're not in the presence of God yet. Well, God is present with us, my friend. One day we will see him face to face. When I was but a wee lad in Lansing, Michigan, I had friends. Hard to believe, but it's true. My best buddy was, was named Rick. Rick Sebring. Lived across the street and two houses down. And man, we just spent the summers every day playing football, tackling people and one another, and just one thing after another, hanging out with friends. Maybe you had the same kind of experience, you know, where all the bikes were, that's where all the kids were, you know, out in the front yard playing. I was hanging out after one of those football games with Rick and another friend of mine named Paul. They were both a couple of years older. And and we were just talking, not about, not that we ever talked about anything important, but we were telling stories, and I told some story, and I'll tell you, friends, it wasn't true. And Paul called me on it, and he looked at me, and he said, you're lying. And my friend Rick looks at Paul and says, he goes to church. He wouldn't lie. And Paul says this, that don't matter. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, my friends, it ought to matter. What kind of experience? I mean, we were little kids. And Paul already knew going to church don't mean you got a holy life. Doesn't mean you're living like Jesus, having the character of Christ, being a truth teller. And that's just a shame, my friends. That is a shame. And I'll tell you what, Peter agrees with that. As a matter of fact, in the text we're about to look at here, in 1 Peter chapter 2. continue our study in 1 Peter, we're going to discover why it ought to matter. And Peter gives us two reasons right here. Take a look here in verse 1. The first reason that Peter gives why we ought to live differently than everyone else. Yeah, a little lie here, a little lie there. Hey, everybody lies. What's the big deal? 
you've told yourself that, my friends, you are deceiving yourself. We ought to live differently, my friends, because we are different. We, as followers of Jesus, are different. God has taken us out of this world. We are in the world, but we are not the same as the rest of the world. I drive down Central, no, it's uh, Stone Avenue. There's a church on the south side, and they got the same sign they've had for 15 years up there. It says, always remember, you're the light of the world. And it's a, it's a somewhat quote of something that Jesus said to his followers. In a world of darkness, my friends, you're lights. You ought to be different, as different as light is from darkness. Anybody else grow up wondering if there was something under your bed every night? Man, the power of light. Somehow, if you turn the light on, whatever was under the bed suddenly disappears. <laughs> the theology of children, astounding. But you and I are to be lights. When people meet us, and we have been conformed or in the process of being conformed to the character of God's Son, they ought to see something different. They ought to know what God is like by meeting you. Is God kind and loving and compassionate? Is God a, a truth teller or a deceiver? Are they learning that from you? Well, they ought to. Because we're different. Look at verse 1. He says, Peter says, So put away all of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, We're different. How are we different? We're now children in God's family. Put away the nonsense, my friends. Malice, which is harm toward others, and deceit. Trying to make people think something about you that you know is not true. Living differently than you say you believe. You know what the word is for that? It's called hypocrisy. And the world hates nothing more than a hypocrite. You want to testify to Jesus before you open your mouth, check your heart. How about we, we do a little cleanup there, Peter says. Because we're children in God's family, he says, and look in verse 2, he says, just like newborn infants who long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good and this is a picture of a of a newborn that hungers and in order to be able to grow it needs to bring in nutrients nutrition nutritious milk that is, is designed particularly for them to grow and for us my friends it is the word of God we my friends need to cultivate a ravenous appetite for the Word of God if we're going to become what God has called us to be. Ravenous appetite. 
the, the Greek word here, epipatheo, it, it means to crave intensely. And you've been there before. Going back to my youth after those football games, running all over the place and jumping on a bike and racing all my friends and I come home and just, you know, gulping on water. Well, we did it with, a, you know, the hose, you know, garden hose and then come home and do the same thing. And what do you got to eat? Burgers, I'll take four, you know? Just a ravenous appetite. And how did we grow? You gotta take in, my friends, but you gotta take in the right stuff. And so we as followers of Jesus Christ are fundamentally different than the rest of the world. They ought to be able to see a difference. We're not only children in God's family, Peter says we're stones in God's temple. Look at verse 4. He says, as you come to him, that's Jesus, who is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And so here's this image that is based on something from the Older Testament. Look at verse 6, where it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen, precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's a reference to Jesus. The church rises and falls with Jesus. <laughs> if Jesus is not who he claimed to be, there is no church, my friend. And so he is the cornerstone, the basis of all of the building that has taken place over 2,000 years in the church. The church is about Jesus. And you and I, my friends, are being built up. And we have this picture of this spiritual house. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I believe that we are a dwelling place of God, a temple. As a matter of fact, Paul teaches, he says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? For you are not your own. You were bought with a price, my friends. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies, which is God. When was the last time you thought about that? You know, the older you get, you know, the less you're fond of this body, where the knees are popping and it's harder to stand up or bend over. And, you know, you think about this body like it's a body of death. Know this, my friends, in the eyes of God, it is a temple indwelt by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. We have different. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us, empowers us, leads and guides us, chastises us when we sin. We are different. 
And then I notice as we get down to verse 9 here, we are now citizens in God's new nation. Elsewhere, the scripture says that we are citizens of heaven. We're just visiting this place, my friends. You know what a pilgrim is? is someone who's going home. On the way home, and we are pilgrims, my friends. We are headed home. And we are here to glorify God. To provoke jealousy to the nation of Israel. To look at the church indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Transformed from the very beginning. We are a spiritual house, my friends. Stones in God's temple and citizens in God's new nation. And we exist to proclaim the glory of God. Look at this, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The work that God is doing in your life, shaping you, putting you through difficult circumstances, frustrating times and the purpose is to shape you that you might proclaim the excellencies of God. Now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. And so my friends we are followers of Jesus and that means we are fundamentally different that is why we ought to live differently. And if you are different, my friends, you will live differently. I challenge you with this statement. You profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ this morning. There was a time in your life where suddenly the gospel made sense to you. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead and suddenly that became personal to you. You understood you were a sinner. And you understood that your sin demands judgment. And then you heard that Christ died in your place. He died for our sin and then he rose from the dead. And you put your trust in Jesus. You asked for his forgiveness and he gave it to you. And things inside your head began to change. And you thought differently about this life and how you ought to be living. But you know what one of the tests of authentic salvation is? A lot of people think they're Christian because they go to church. But as I like to say, you ain't a hamburger just because you go to McDonald's and you ain't a Christian just because you go to church. You're a Christian when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, that changes things. As we just saw, we become children in God's family, stones in His temple, citizens in a new nation. I wonder, has anyone ever come up to you and said, what's so different about you? 
I trusted Christ in my late teens. Visiting family, I recall I've mentioned this before, it was one of those moments where it wasn't just my imagination that things were changing in my life. And my aunt said to my mom, what did you do to him? He's just so different now. It's one of the tests, my friends, of authentic Christianity. That you're not just changed in your words, my friends, you're changed in the heart. And it's a process and a shaping and people can see the difference. But I'll tell you this, my friends, if you are fundamentally different, you would behave fundamentally different. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We must live differently. Look at verse 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh which wages war against your soul. You and I came into this world with an appetite for sin. It's called a sin nature. And its appetite is defined by selfishness. Phrases like, I want, I want. You hear it from little babies, I want, gimme, gimme, gimme. One of the responsibilities of a parent is to help a child overcome its selfishness, to learn to say no to yourself. It's one of the signs of maturity in Christ, in which you've learned to say no to your own cravings. Yes, there's a McDonald's coming up. Yeah, they got really cold shakes on a hot day. Yeah, and I can get some fries to dip in too, you know? The ability to say no to your own cravings. One of the practices I have is to tell myself one is enough. And then try to act on it. Because my friends, it's not about knowing the truth. It's about what you do with the truth that matters. But here, my, my friends, Peter here says you got to live differently and your testimony. In other words, what your life says about God can make a huge difference. He says, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When he talks about the Gentiles, He's talking about unbelievers. And then he tells us why. And he's not saying, put on an act. He's saying, evaluate your heart and get rid of the stuff that isn't Jesus. The stuff that doesn't honor him. The stuff that makes you look like a hypocrite. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. And you know what will happen then, my friends? Accusations will fall flat. You know how to prove to somebody you're not a hypocrite? Don't be a hypocrite. And so keep it honorable, my friends, so that for this purpose, when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Live well, my friends, so they have no place to point, nothing with which to accuse. Again, this is not putting on an act. This is not holding your breath while you're in front of other people and trying to be a different person in different places. Again, that's hypocrisy. James called it double-souled. One way with one person, another way with another. Be the same, my friends. Be the same. But you will notice here, my friends, you will not only silence the critics when they do speak up, it is to glorify God. Who looks at a life and says, hey, this is the real deal here. Something's different about this. If you're different, my friends, you ought to live differently. And again, I'm not talking about putting on a show. That's the last thing we're talking about. It's about pursuing Christ with all of your heart, loving the things that he loves, and living the way that he loved. Compassionate, love, sacrificial, for the purpose of good for others. My friends, your testimony will speak volumes. That's why we need to live differently. And one of the ways that we need to live differently is not only living a holy life, but honoring those who God has placed as authorities in my life. You're not going to like what we're about to read. But take a look anyway. This Here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We fell asleep in verse 13 where Peter reminds believers that we are to honor those who, that God, those whom God has placed in authority. He says in verse 13, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. There is no authority other, other than God's authority. And he places those whom he will in positions of influence for his glory and the good of his people. And so the very same emperor who would presume to put you to death as a Christian, hmm, you honor that position. And then he tells us why. He says, be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake. In other words, I'm doing this for the glory of God, not because of the badness of this man. I'm going to honor them for Christ's sake. So he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, or supreme, or the governors, as sent by him, by who? God. God has established government, my friends, and its purpose is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. But what about those unjust people? Honor them for the Lord's sake, not because of their behavior. 
step two are things that we don't want to do, but we need to live this way, my friends. In verse 18, Peter reminds them to suffer injustice the way Jesus did. You know how Jesus did? Well, we're going to find out here. <laughs> this, my friend, is the turn the other cheek principle in action. Remember what Jesus said? Someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the left. Why in the world would I do that? I'm going to raise my hand. Isn't that our natural, normal response? Block that thing coming in. Not what Jesus did, though. Servants. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when a mindful of God, when you are mindful of God and you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly. Raise your hand if you have ever suffered unjustly. As a teenager, I got pulled over by a police officer and he gave me a speeding ticket. And I absolutely was not speeding. I know absolutely I was particularly a new driver being particularly careful about such things. And I told my dad, he said, I said, what do I do? How do I fight this thing? He says, you can't. No sense in fighting. Swallow it and move on. Jesus says, no, that ain't enough. Honor the one who, who wrongs you. Jesus, you may recall, not only said to love your neighbor, he said to love your enemy. You remember that? Everybody still have that in their Bible? I see that hand in the balcony. Do good to those who hate you. Why? Because that's who we are, my friends. And by the way, that is exactly what Jesus did. It came to die on the cross for people who were happy to crucify him. Died for sinners, my friends. Suffer injustice just like Jesus did. Yeah, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures while suffering unjustly. And then Peter asked this question hypothetically. <coughs> I don't think he coughed before he said that. I'm lacking fluids here. So. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? I mean, have you ever disobeyed your parents and you suffered their wrath and you deserved it? And you lowered your head and you took it and you moved on with your life. There's no credit for that. You deserved it. You know what makes us stand out? That even when we are dealt with unjustly, we live differently. Peter says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This just smacks of God's grace. And it points to God's grace. And it says, there's something different about these people. Friends, there ought to be something different about you. 
the only way that we knew that Jesus wouldn't be cursing and yelling and screaming at the people or nailing them to a cross is because he went to the cross and he washed them. Look what Peter says. He says, follow the strategy of Jesus. When he was reviled, you know, come down off the cross if you're really the Christ. And all these little snotty people yelling at our Lord. How did he respond? Shaking his fist. I'll get you. That's absolutely not how he responded. He did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body. Talk about an injustice. Dying for our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds we have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I hope that's the truth here today. It would be a real shame if you came to this service today and listened to me go on and on and on about Jesus and how we ought to live in a world of difficulty and never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Never confess your sin to him and ask his forgiveness and received it by faith. That would be a shame. But since you have, my friends, there ought to be a difference in your life. Well, let's wrap it up here. A sermon in a sentence. You want to, here's the handle to carry it home with. If Christ lives in you, people ought to know. Not because of the talking, my friends, but because of the way you live. I mean, if that ain't meeting up, my friends, it's time for a change. You need to get in the Word of God and then get the Word of God in you and live accordingly. Christ lives in you, people would know it. So let me ask you this. Here's a little opportunity for you to evaluate. What sin are you battling with today? Temptation that has come into your life and you are wrestling with it day after day to say, I will not go there for the glory of God. I'm trusting him for the grace to continue to say no day after day. What is it? You don't have to yell it out. But I want to ask you this, friends. Because if you can't come up with an answer, what does that mean? You're just giving in? Let that not be the case. Identify it. My guess is that the Spirit of God has already pointed some things out in your life. She need to find some victory over. She need to learn to say no about it. Let's get on that. Let's get on that. And as I asked earlier, have ever have people ever talked about how different you are? So 
guys, if you can't come up with them, some changes that have happened in your life, you better go back to the beginning of putting your faith in Jesus and start following Him. Because if something isn't changing, something ain't right. Finally, let me ask you this. These are some hard questions, friends. These are questions I ask myself all of the time. If the state were someday to outlaw Christians, nobody's a follower of Christ in this place. And somebody accused you of being a Christian, would they be able to find enough evidence in your life to convict you? Would they be able to gather witnesses together and say, you know, I was riding along and some guy just cut us off and they didn't even look and then he, and then he starts yelling at us out his window. There was no cursing and anger. It's, it's as if they, they had love for that person. What's different about you? since you started following Jesus. Don't tell me about Sundays, my friends. Tell me about Mondays through Saturdays. What have you walked away from because you were walking to Jesus? What's different? If nothing comes to mind, my friends, get busy. You make an appointment with God and get going on. Get in the Word of God. Look at it as instruction manual from God. This is how I must live today. Start fighting some battles. Start learning to say no to temptation. I'm not going to take the second look. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You can't help but see things that are flashed before you, but you get to decide what you do next. It said you can't prevent birds from swooping down on your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest there. Start saying no to sin. You know it. Start making the decisions and watch your world change.